great to be with you uh, today, the first Sunday of July, and thank you so much for joining in with us, and I encourage you to share this feed and to uh, do whatever, start a watch party, etc., those kinds of things. Got a message for you today that you probably have never heard uh, taught this way before, so I would really encourage you to be about the business of sharing and uh, that is your way of spreading the gospel as well. So, uh, Father, we thank you. We have an opportunity to worship you today. Help us.
There's a space in every beating heart There's a long gap that reaches past the stars There's an answer to every question mark There's a name There's a hope flowing through these veins There's a voice that echoes through the pain There's an amber ready for the flame There's a name We will fix our eyes on the We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chain. Love has a name, love has a name, Jesus. Love has a name, love has a name, Jesus. There's a joy that triumphs over fear There's a laughter that wipes away all tears There's a presence that changes atmospheres There's a name We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chain. Love has a name, love has a name, Jesus. Love has a name, love has a name, Victory has a name, victory has a name, Jesus. Joy has a name, joy has a name, Jesus. The name that's lifted up.
set our eyes on you, Jesus. We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. We will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. Oh, we fix our eyes on you, Lord. We will stand in awe of the We will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. Love has a name. Love has a name. Jesus. Joy has a name. Joy has a name. Jesus. So, Father, we're reminded today that um, above all the things that we could focus on, Lord, our situations, uh, things going on around this world, all those things, uh, Lord, we are to focus on Christ. We're to focus on Jesus. And we can be so easily sidetracked, God. We can think about ourselves so easily. We can think about uh, uh, people that we love and care for and and different situations that they're going through and lord the 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 situations can be so dark and can be so discouraging and can bring us down but lord we praise you that we can focus on christ and uh, we can cast our anxiety 
upon you for you care for us. And uh, Lord, we just admit this morning that uh, apart from you, we can do nothing, O God. And we need your presence uh, like, like never before. And Lord, we just confess it is so easy to get our eyes off of you and to uh, get our eyes on the storm that, that's blowing around us. But I pray you would help us to just focus on you and to just hold on to your hand even as we walk through life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning again, everyone, and welcome today. It's great to be with you, those of you who are just tuning in, the first Sunday of the month of July, and uh, I'm, I'm so excited we have made it this far. I mean, three, three months moving into four months of uh, not being able to meet together in the same place. But uh, thank you so much for being faithful and for being intentional and, you know, you're tuning in and you're, we had a great Zoom call before the service began. So it's just great to be with people. I'm looking at a camera right now, but I can envision your faces uh, as I'm speaking. And uh, so I encourage you to spread the word and to be about the business of sharing and starting watch parties on Facebook and those kinds of things. Use the technology to your advantage. And remember, I do post these on our website at citypointchurch.ca, and they also are in a uh, podcast format through the Podbean and Apple Podcasts platform, so you can subscribe to those, and once they get uploaded, you will see them. I remind you, if you are a guest today, it's your first time joining us, or maybe your second, your third time, but you haven't yet taken us up on our little offer here, if you text the key phrase, reach the one, to 514-900-0130, all we need is your email address, your cell phone, and your name. I'm going to send you a little gift via email. And uh, that will get you on our email and text list and give you access to other things that we have to offer uh, as a church, like right now media and things like that as well, okay? And you can also communicate with us through our website at the contact page. And uh, we've got videos there of all the messages, etc. I'd remind you to keep on praying for our missionaries, the Charbonneaus who are in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, you can watch their service online at 8.30 in the morning, I think it is, at Église La Forteresse Page on Facebook. And uh, they keep it there permanently as well. And pray for Don and Marie-José Mann as they are uh, waiting to be able to travel and engage in uh, their new ministry of leadership training all around the world. Weekdays, I am still handling your questions so you'll see a little notice on the screen. I encourage you to send them in. We continue tomorrow. We've got 18 questions done so far. My goodness. And uh, some excellent questions there. They're all great. And uh, keep sending them in. And uh, sooner or later, I'll get to God's questions. And he has many, many more questions of us than we actually have of him. But we're having a great time doing that. And uh, thank you so much for being faithful in your giving. You'll see a slide on the screen how you can give to our church electronically through the Give page. Thank you so much for doing that. You keep our online platforms running. 
uh, we are able to use those to reach the one who is far from God so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus and you never know who is watching. Uh, I get comments from different people who I can't, I didn't even know who they were and uh, they are watching our content. So thank you so much for helping us to fund that as we continue to weather the pandemic storm together. We are continuing a series called Podcasts from Peter today, and what we've tried to do is go through each chapter of uh, Peter's first letter. We're going to do his second letter starting next week, and uh, it's got five chapters, so today is chapter five, and the title of our message is 21st Century Devil. (laughs) You're probably, whoa, that's a That's strong, 21st century devil. Well, just to review, uh, Peter is writing from most likely the city of Rome. He is going to give us a little clue. At the end of chapter 5, he says this in verse 13, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, as does my son Mark. Uh, Babylon is probably a word that he's using to describe the city of Rome, and that Mark there is probably John Mark, the same Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, which was probably dictated to him by Peter. So there's an interesting connection there. So anyway, Peter is writing from the city of Rome. This is the early 60s A.D., and he is writing to groups of churches and believers that are scattered uh, east of him, pretty far east of him in what is now known as Turkey. And those churches and those people are scattered. They're probably scattered from Jerusalem or the area of Jerusalem, Judea, up to north of them. And they're also dealing with pressure from Nero in Rome, who was persecuting Christians. So you've got a group of people in some trouble. And uh, so Peter's general point is to try and encourage, encourage, encourage these people. And we've gone through several themes uh, that he has he has mentioned through the first four chapters. But there is a section of his letter that I want to focus in on today. Um, And I call this the devil in the 21st century, today's message. And this is from 1 Peter chapter 5. This is part of the conclusion of his letter. And watch what he says, uh, starting in uh, uh, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So relevant today. Cast all your anxiety on him. Be self-controlled, verse 8, and alert, or in some translations, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, wow, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Note the image there. He's drawing a simile and he's saying that the devil, yes, the devil, I'll explain what the scripture teaches about that in a moment, prowls around like a roaring lion, an image they would have understood, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So I want to talk to you today about the devil in the 21st century. 
Um, as soon as people hear that, they have a number of reactions. You know, if you're if you're watching this and you're just sort of checking out Christianity and are open-minded and investigating Christianity, and you hear this, you're like, oh, good grief, I'm, I'm to be expected to believe in, you know, some character with horns and uh, fangs and a little pitchfork, and you have all these ideas that may be coming from popular culture uh, of what the supposed devil is, uh, or maybe you're of the, the other uh extreme perhaps and you know devils are everywhere for you and you're kind of looking for some devil under every under every table under every chair there's you know this it's a devil somewhere um the way that the scripture portrays uh the devil i'll put that in quotes there's many different titles given to this uh being if you will in the bible is very very different from the way that the devil is portrayed in popular culture, in movies, in media, television, music. Uh, I was just watching uh, a little bit of uh, an old movie from the 80s yesterday, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. What a terrible movie. And what a terribly inaccurate depiction of the devil given in that movie, you know, foisted upon the minds of millions of people. Incredibly inaccurate if you look at the description of the devil from the Bible. It's a very different picture. And basically what we see uh, in the scripture is, um, yes, indeed, a supernatural being. So he is not uh, material, you can't see him, doesn't have a physical body. So the devil exists in the immaterial supernatural world, which the Bible firmly acknowledges. I mean, you can't believe in God if you don't believe that there's any supernatural. So certainly the Bible acknowledges this kind of unseen supernatural world, and um, uh, the devil is part of that and and this is the way that the bible depicts him in terms of his um, his essence his nature uh, most conservative scholars will say that we're talking about a fallen angelic being uh, there are a couple of passages in the old testament ezekiel 28 and isaiah 14 give us some indicator of some kind of angelic being who may have been in charge of music actually and uh, and worship in the sort of organization and company of the angelic host of god again this is all in the invisible immaterial world that is described for us in a little bit of detail uh in the bible and that this angelic being fell from his position due to pride uh, wanting to take the place of god and usurp god in something of a mutiny he was banished from God's uh, presence in that sense. And so the scripture teaches that this invisible being is our adversary and our enemy. And the primary way that this enemy works, though, is very, very different than what's depicted in, in popular uh, culture. And I want to just take you on a journey to a couple of places here 
um, to help you grasp this. You know, typically we're thinking of Ouija boards and we're thinking of, you know, witchcraft or something like that. And I mean, for sure, folks, the there is the work of of uh, the enemy in that realm. Okay, and I'm not discounting that. Uh, I have seen that a couple of times in my ministry, and that is that is very real. Some of you who are watching, you come from places in the world where those things are very very real and they're taken very very seriously. Um, and I'm not discounting that. But the primary way that the enemy works as depicted in the Bible, is not really through these big power encounters and confrontations and exorcisms and those kinds of things. He works actually in a very different way that we often are oblivious to. And some of you, you're going to hear this, and it's going to be the very, very first time that you've heard it taught this way. So again, I want you to to challenge yourselves to share this uh, with others. Let me take you on a little journey geographically to the continent of Africa, specifically to uh, the nation of Zambia and Western uh, Zambia. And you see a little photograph. I took that uh, five, six years ago when I was there uh, in Zambia, and that is a just a gorgeous sunset, right? And that was taken on uh, the only safari that I ever took in my life. And I was with a very small team uh, from my previous church, and we had gone into Western Zambia to be a part of a little bit of the um, oversight of the building of a uh, a structure that was part of an orphanage, uh, working with missionaries uh, over there, and the church had donated some money to help build that building, and so we sent a small team over. It's an incredible experience, as you can imagine. And so we did have the occasion to go on a safari for an evening and uh, then a morning. And, uh, of course, in a safari, what you want to do is you want to see animals, right? I mean, you want to see everything that you can possibly see. And usually the most popular animals that you want to see are the big cats, as we call them. Uh, and so we're in the in the car, you know, it was kind of Jurassic Park and uh, and we're, we're in this truck and there's no protection or anything. And the guide is driving us around. And of course, the sun starts to go down, as you see there. And then he got word on his radio uh, that there were lions in the area. And the next little picture you'll see doesn't look like much, uh, but that's that's a full-grown male lion there. And uh, he is in that long, that long grass there. And uh, then we got a little bit closer, and you can see his face. And he's just looking, staring right at you. And it is extremely intimidating. Uh, when you're 50 feet from a full-grown lion and they're looking at you like they're looking through you. I mean, uh, you know, we're, we're, I suppose, pretty scrawny to them, uh, but it is intimidating. And when that lion roars, uh, this next picture is just the lion yawning and you can see those teeth. But when that lion roars and I heard him roar the next day, uh, you feel your heart shudder. I mean, you can feel the inside of your ribs kind of rattling together when you hear that roar. There, there. I have never heard a more intimidating sound uh, in my life and uh, went to bed uh, that night and just couldn't get that lion's face out of my head. 
And we went and saw that lion uh, the next day, and that lion was with a female uh, the next day. But here's the last picture of him that night, you know, just looking at the camera with those eyes. And see, that's the image that Peter puts in the, in the minds of his readers uh, about the work of, quote-unquote, the devil. And he says, you've got to be alert and you've got to be sober because that devil that you are, that you are uh, facing attack from, and he doesn't exempt these believers from attack of, of, of the enemy. I mean, some Christians think they're oblivious to the attack of the devil, and that's not true. Peter doesn't affirm that at all. He affirms the reverse. But he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so they would have related to that image. And I saw this passage a little bit different after my experience in uh, sort of staring at this very, very intimidating lion. Now, how does the devil specifically work in the lives of people? How is he working in the lives of these first century believers? How does he work in our lives today? Yes, in the 21st century century. Well, there are some clues, uh, and we'll put that slide on the screen. There are clues in the patterns of both the writings of Peter and the writings of Paul. So if you've been tracking with us, if you zoom out a little bit, uh, figuratively speaking, as you're looking at the whole letter of First Peter, you see a pattern there. And that is a pattern that Paul also used in his letter to the Ephesians, in his letter to the Colossians. There is a distinct pattern, and you can, you can trace it um, quite well. It's as if Peter and Paul knew each other, and the book of Acts certainly sustains that they did. And they seem to be thinking the same general thing and expressing it in different ways to different audiences. So Peter, he starts with this kind of foundation of reminding these people of who they are in Christ as as children of God. And Paul does the same thing. He does that to the Ephesians. He does that to the Colossians. And uh, uh, being a child of God and what that means is foundational for people, especially when they're experiencing persecution. Um, and for some strange reason, it comes into the limelight once in a while it comes and goes, but there's some strange teaching about this and what it means to be a child of God, and uh, the Bible certainly doesn't sustain it, but it's this idea that, you know, when a person becomes a Christian, becomes a follower of, of Jesus, that they're kind of identical to Jesus, and that Jesus, in fact, uh, kind of became the Son of God uh, through the Holy Spirit after he was baptized, and we too, when we come to faith in Jesus, we can become sons and daughters of God just like Jesus, as if we're identical to Jesus. And the Bible would not sustain this. The idea is that by faith, we are adopted into the family of God. And when God works in our lives, and he works powerfully in our lives, that is him doing the work. That is not us. We don't become little gods. We don't do become little little, uh, uh, in essence, little gods running around. Uh, no, by faith we are adopted into God's family, and that changes our identity, especially when we face the difficult moments. And this is what Paul and Peter do in, uh, in their letters. They start with that kind of foundation, and then they get into teaching about submission. 
You see this in in First Peter chapter two, verse thirteen. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, and then he starts talking about government. Then he starts talking about uh, what would be in our day employer employee kind of relations. In that day, it was slave and master, and I explained that when we got into First Peter chapter two. And then he talks about wives, and then he talks about husbands, and then he actually, in chapter 5, he gets into elders and young people. And it's this kind of series of different relationships and how we're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for God. And Paul does this to the Ephesians. He does this in the Colossians. Peter does it here in 1 Peter. And then there's this conclusion. And the conclusion, strangely enough, is about the devil. So Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 talks famously about the spiritual armor of God and to put on the armor of God because we're we, because there's an enemy and he 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 is at work and there's different pieces of this armor and here you have Peter saying this saying the same general theme but in a different way and he talks about the devil as this roaring lion and uh, seeking to devour so there are these patterns and and the implication there the strong implication is that the the primary place of operation uh and the way that the devil works in in people's lives believer and non-believer alike the way that he works is not so much in exorcisms and you know power encounters and Ouija boards and astrology and all of these things he certainly does work in those areas you know I think about hypnosis uh, which is very very popular today and you can go and attend meetings well when when the pandemic passes or there's a vaccine uh, where you know get mass hypnosis this is a very very dangerous thing you know here you have Peter saying be alert and of sober mind and yet you're being hypnotized and put into an altered state of consciousness for sure the enemy can work in all those things for sure he can work in illicit drug use and hallucinogenic stuff and all of that for sure he can but the primary way that he works if you look into the pages of scripture the primary way is in the area of relationships it's in relationships and this is why peter talks about government husbands wives slaves masters young people old people this is why uh, uh, paul does the same thing peter does the same thing this is the way that the enemy works today and i want to give you three relationships that the devil attempts to break in the lives of people christian people non-christian people irrespective of religion he is at work and he does this through lying okay jesus called him the father of lies and he said when he lies he speaks his native language he does this through lying and this is why peter says be alert and of sound mind because those lies and those deceptions are running around in your head and that invisible supernatural being is able to kind of pepper your head with the things that he's thinking and if you're not careful and if you're not aware of it and if you're not sober-minded and if you're not alert you start buying into the worldview that is actually the worldview foisted upon us 
by our enemy. This is the way that the Bible depicts it. So it's the way that you see things. It's the way that you see the world. It's the way that you see relationships. It's the way you see God. It's the way you see life. He is trying to disrupt that, and he is trying to uh, get you to to be deceived and to buy into his way of thinking. And so it's it's in your head that the battle takes place, and the battle is between truth and lie. And this is the operational technique, if you will, that the Bible teaches about the devil. And you show me broken relationships, and I will show you uh, the work of the destroyer, the work of the enemy. That is the his playground. And so I want to give you three relationships today that the devil attempts to break in the lives of people. And to do this, I'm going to go way back to the beginning. We're taking a journey to, to uh, Africa and to Zambia in the 21st century. But I'm going to take you way, way, way back to the beginning of the Bible, to the very, very first presentation of temptation and the devil and sin in the entire Bible. And this is from the book of Genesis, from Genesis chapter 3. The first relationship that he wants to break is the relationship that man has with God. You'll see it on the screen there, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. You say, oh man, now you're taking me back to the Garden of Eden and some kind of talking snake and Adam and Eve walking around in the garden with no clothes on. You know, you're really stretching me. I'm expected to believe in a devil and now I'm expected to believe in Adam and Eve. Well, just humor me for uh, this morning or whenever you are watching or listening to this. Um, the Bible teaches this as real and as historical and as actual. So I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. And you'll find that you may see yourself in this account, in this story of this first presentation of temptation uh, brought to the first couple, the first people, Adam and Eve. So in Genesis chapter 2, uh, we're told uh, uh, that God says uh, to Adam not to eat of that famous tree, right? So uh, Genesis chapter 2 and, um, and uh, verse uh, 17 or 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. I know you're saying, what, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? You know, just just make the assumption that this is true and that this really happened, even though it's difficult to, to describe, okay? And uh, so the command is given, do not eat of that tree. It's told, uh, the, the command says, this is, this is what that tree has. This is what it accesses. Uh, the knowledge of good and evil. Um, and then uh, uh, Eve is is created, and uh, then we see in verse 25 at the end of chapter 2, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Relax, this sermon is not a justification for nudism or nudist beaches or anything. Again, put things in context. Uh, so... Um, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now if we follow this 
title of the serpent all the way through the Bible, we see that Jesus even affirms his existence, and he does this in the book of Revelation. So if we try to mythologize this or make it figurative, um, even if we go to, to, again, to the book of Revelation, the end of the book, Jesus seems to affirm this story and seems to affirm the existence of this quote-unquote serpent as a, an image of the devil. And so the question is raised by him to Eve, did God really say You must not eat from any tree in the garden. And she replies, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And the serpent's response, you will surely not die. And here's what's going on. He says to Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We'll stop there for just a moment. This is a, an extremely intelligent deception that's going on here. Uh, and what happens is the, the devil is casting doubt in the mind of Eve and really in the mind of Adam, because we see later that he's right there kind of watching and experiencing the whole thing, and he eats the fruit as well. Uh, He is casting doubt in their minds about what God has said. So in other words, he's saying, you can't really trust God. Uh, He is not trustworthy, because what is going on is that God is concealing something from you, God does not want you to be like him with the knowledge of good and evil. And so he is withholding this from you. He is concealing this from you. He has lied to you. He has told you that you will die, but you will not die. And um, so the point is, he cannot be trusted. That is the story of millions of people today who feel that they cannot trust God. God is untrustworthy. Uh, He cannot be taken at his word. He probably doesn't even exist. He's probably not even there. And so what do we do? We sort of live for ourselves or we get into some other uh, maybe type of religion or something or some kind of way of coping with life um, because In our heads, God cannot be trusted. He is untrustworthy. And this is a brilliant temptation because it is half true. Now, I have heard and read many books and heard many sermons uh, where people say, you know, this is the old New Age lie. We used to call it New Age in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, and the, the whole infiltration in the West of Eastern religious views um, and, you know, Shirley MacLaine and all of that. And we call that the New Age movement. And we used to say here, this is the New Age being presented here. The knowledge of good and evil, it's a lie. Well, if you read the account, 
you see that when they ate of that fruit, they did indeed have this supposed knowledge of good and evil. They acquired this knowledge that God had and that God did not want them to have. Genesis chapter 2, it's made very clear to Adam. And Adam obviously explained this to Eve. And the tree was labeled as having, you know, this sort of doorway to the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they still ate from it. Knowing full well what it contained, they ate from it, but they did indeed attain that knowledge. And God says it to them uh, after they they eat the, 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 the fruit. Uh, God says they have now become like one of us, uh, knowing good and evil. And so um, it's a brilliant, brilliant lie and temptation, but it is indeed a lie. Now I can hear someone saying, yeah, 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 but they didn't die after they ate the fruit. Well, they did, uh, just slowly. So physically they began to die. Spiritually they began to die. And everything changed the moment that they ate that fruit. And we call that in theological terms, the fall. And this is the fall uh, on display. And so um, uh, this is the first way, the first relationship that the devil is trying to break. And that is man's relationship with God, severed, broken by sin and temptation and in need of repair. And we see that all around the world, the consequences of a broken relationship with God and the consequences of sin running wild in people's lives. Not only do we see that type of destruction, but we see that relationships with people are broken, not only with God, but with people. And we could put that slide on the screen, Genesis chapter 3, and verse 12. So after they they get caught, uh, or they're in the process of getting caught, uh, first you see in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Didn't stop her, right? Who was with her? And he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, this is, uh, this is anthropomorphic terms, right? God doesn't have a physical body like you and me, but this is said by Moses in an anthropomorphic way. Um walking uh, uh, among the trees in the garden. And the Lord God asked the man, called to the man. And here's a, a great question that God asks. You talk about God's questions in the series that we're doing uh, during the week. Here's a great question. Where are you? Wow. He says to Adam. And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And he said, have you eaten? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
I mean, what a question. He knows the answer already, but you see him asking the question anyway. And what does he do, Adam? What does he do? He says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So what is he doing right away? He's passing the buck. He's blaming his wife for his own choice. And uh, again, he could have stopped her. He could have said, Eve, don't eat that fruit. Don't listen to this, this serpent. This is a trick. This is a deception. No, he, he watches it happen. He consumes the fruit as well. And then he, immediately we see him start pointing the finger at his wife. What does this say? There is a broken relationship that he has with his own wife as a result of the fall, and we see it immediately in the same breath. We see it take place. He starts pointing fingers at her, and we see this thing through the Bible over and over and over again, hundreds and thousands of times. You turn to Genesis chapter 4, and you see the first murder take place. Cain murders Abel, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Um, uh, this is God speaking to Cain, and he says, before the murder takes place, and uh, Cain's offering has not been accepted by God, but Abel's has. And the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Remember the image that Peter uses. The devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The imagery here is like a beast. Uh, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. The language that's used there is like a beast, the, the, the Hebrew word. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And Cain did not. And he goes and he kills his own brother out of jealousy. Uh, James says uh, in the book of James in the New Testament, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it is it not your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you cannot get it. And so you steal and you kill and you covet and you do not have because you do not ask God. And so there is this battle with with uh, the destroyer, with the devourer, with the devil and he seeks to break relationships with people also. You see, Adam does it with his wife, uh, uh, blames her. You see that uh, Cain kills uh, his brother. And lastly, there is a relationship that is not often talked about, but he breaks the relationship that we have with ourselves. So back to Genesis 2 and 25, Man and woman were created and they were told were naked and they felt no shame. Remember that word, uh, shame, and just focus on it for just a moment. And then you see after the fall, verses 7 to 10, they are now ashamed and they are hiding from God. Now, for sure, there is a shame that is a, a I'll say, a healthy shame. Uh, when people do things and then they they do evil things and they realize uh, uh, their 
they were wrong and all of that, and they feel a sense of shame, and it leads to change, well, that, that can be very healthy. Uh, but there is a shame that people live with all the time, and it's not healthy. And there is a sense um, uh, of lostness in our own identity. And again, this is why Peter and Paul start their letters always with a foundation of who is the believer in Christ. Who are you in Christ? And uh, this shame is the kind of opposite of this. And so it's really interesting that we see that this couple, this first couple, is all of a sudden ashamed. And they're hiding from God. They're, they're against their own selves. Uh, but there's this battle on the inside that takes place that the enemy tries to do in, and tries to work and tries to play with in our lives and tries to uh, uh, have success in in our lives is battle as to who we perceive ourselves to be. And, and there are people on the other side of this camera and you have that sense of shame all the time. It's a narrative in the back of your mind. Something happened to you. Uh, somebody did something to you, somebody said something to you, there's, and there's this narrative that is always there, and you live with this sense of shame all the time, and your confidence is never what you want it to be, and you're never doing what it is you really want to do, you're never accomplishing what you really want to accomplish, and some of it has to do with your own limitation because there is this sense of shame in your life. I am not an advocate that, that, you know, a person who's a Christian can do anything and be anything. No, God created you in a certain way to do a certain thing in a certain way and be a certain person. But when a person lives under a sense of a constant um, self-perception of shame, uh, that limits a person. And this is exactly what our enemy, the devil, wants us to feel, this sense of being less than what God really made us to be. And it is very liberating when a person discovers their identity in Christ as God's child, uh, rather than being a child of, you know, this culture or the way that this world thinks or whatever happened to you, whatever incident happened to you, whatever uh, pain you went through, whatever suffering you went through, whatever injustice you went through. No, you're not that. You're created in God's image. You're a child of God. You are saved by the work of Christ on the cross. You are by faith brought into adoption into his family, no longer living the same way. But so many people who are Christians struggle to get there because of that sense of shame. And that shame has its origins in the deceptions of, yes, the devil, and that's what he does today. Now, um, at, the, at, the, at the end of this message, uh, I, I want to, to encourage you um, and maybe challenge you further, teach you something further uh, as, we, as we finish up today. Um, John it talks about our identity in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And it's really interesting what he, what he says. I'll put a little bit of background music for you here. And it's really interesting what he says. 
uh, John chapter 1 and uh, verse starting at verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. This is speaking of Jesus. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of uh, uh, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. You know, there's this thought out there in the world that everybody's God's child, and we're all God's children. Well, maybe in the sense that we're created in the image of God, yes, but not by, uh, we are not God's children in the way that John is defining it here. He's talking about when a person believes and receives Christ, their identity changes. They're born not of, uh, King James Version would render it this way, not of the flesh or of bloods or of the will of man. You know, you're not born of the flesh. You're not born in the sense of the way that the world thinks, uh, that nature that is constantly opposed to God. No, you're not born of bloods. Nowadays, there's so much uh, going on around the world and the, the, the protests about uh, systemic racism and police brutality. Well, in, in God's economy, when you become a child of God by faith in Christ, you don't identify with the, the color of your skin or the way that you look or your physical uh, appearance. You don't identify that way. You don't identify by what people say about you. You identify with God. And God says, you are my child by faith. You're adopted into my family. And the way that you view life, the way that you view yourself, the way that you view other people, the way that you view me, is totally transformed. This is what God says to people when they become followers of Jesus. And maybe there are people on the other side of this camera, and for you, you would say, I am not a child of God by that definition. I am, I am not a follower of Jesus, but I want to be. And because I have seen my life hit dead end after dead end after dead end, no matter what I have tried, I have seen what has happened to Adam and Eve take place in my life. The oldest story, you know, in the Bible, and the one that's probably attacked the most, maybe you're saying, I've seen that happen in my own life. I have good news for you today. You can begin a relationship with God through Jesus. John makes it clear here, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I'm going to pray a really, really simple prayer. And you who are watching in your, in your house, on your phone, in your backyard, wherever, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening, you can pray something like this prayer and address it to God. And I'm telling you, he's going to listen. He's going to hear your authenticity. He's going to hear your sincerity. And he is going to move when he hears you call out to him. God, I thank you uh, that you 
exist. And uh, Lord, sometimes I doubt, sometimes I wonder, but at this moment, Lord, I thank you that you are real. And I, I, don't, I don't understand everything, but I know that Jesus came to die for me, to open the way for me to get to God. So I ask Jesus to come into my life at this very moment. And with the little faith I have, I reach out to Jesus and ask him to save me and to be the Lord, the foundation of my life starting even at this moment i say god have mercy on me a sinner show me yourself and a new way to live amen you prayed that prayer today july the 5th 2020 you are starting something brand new and it's something very very real and so i want you to reach out to me if you have prayed that prayer just use our website and go to the contact page and uh, send me an email or contact me uh, by, uh, by phone or by text. I'll turn the music down. And uh, I would love to hear from you and help you get started and uh, moving forward. This is a lifetime, not just uh, a sprint, but a marathon that you have just started. The most wonderful adventure of your life has just begun. Uh, I look forward again to being with you tomorrow as we take a look at your questions, God's questions. Thank you so much for joining in with us today. Have a great, great end of the day and God bless you.